0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show.
1: With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on?
0: The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620.
1: Move for present. Get in the Race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. It's not that I mind them doing the road work, but why do they have to do it so darn slow? Now, I, I think part of the problem with the whole mess on I-43 moving south um, has been the fact that they, they came up with this cockamamie scheme that they wanted to narrow the lanes and they wanted to make everybody have to swerve in and out. And so you created like 20 miles where there was no roadside shoulder. So if some car broke down, you couldn't get to it. If there was a collision, you couldn't get to it. And people, as we know, driving too fast, but it's almost impossible to catch them causing accidents but but again a big part of the problem is that the construction has gone on for so very long that is true I think of a number of other projects around here as well now our studios are located on Humboldt and and Capitol and back in early May the Department of Transportation announced that they were going to start a project where port washington road which is a street that runs north and south big road they were going to tear up the bridge that crosses capitol drive okay that that's fine they were going to replace the bridge at the same time a little bit to the west of where this construction is going on they decided that they wanted to tear up the street and do repaving and i don't know if they were putting in new pipes or whatever um, but in front of where Mesmer High School is. So uh, the Capitol Drive, if you're trying to, if you're coming north on I-43 and you get off and you want to try to go east, you can't do that anymore. And if you're trying to go west, it's just an absolute, complete and total mess. And it's been that way since May. Now that school is back in session at Mesmer, it's it's even worse. There's just no place for anybody to be. Now, I avoid that area like the plague, but... Because I was curious as to how things were going on, I decided to bite the bullet. And over the last couple days, I I drove that route on Thursday and on Friday. So what happened was, there, there were people there. There were people working. I counted, and it's about I don't know, maybe a half a mile that's torn up, maybe three quarters of a mile, but it's really torn up, you know, in these different projects. So on Thursday. As I was driving through the area, and this is not an uncommon experience when I've driven through the area before, I counted how many people were working on this major area that's torn up, and I swear, hand in the air. First day, I counted four people that were there. Now, there's big construction equipment that's all over, you know, but four people, and again, hand in the air, I'm not making this up. Two of them were actually working like digging and there were two other people standing by the hole with clipboards. I, I'm not making this up. There were four people. All right. So I thought maybe that was, was unfair, right? So what I did was on, on Friday, I decided when I was leaving here, and again, I, I understand it was, you know, the the Friday of Labor Day, but it's it's still a work day. And I drove by, and actually, there there were... There were more than four people that were working. Well, there were more than four people that were there. In this space of time, I saw five people. Now, in this case... Three of the people were standing around looking, and there were two people in these little, like, things that were doing some digging. But but all the big, heavy equipment, nothing was being done with that. And that has been the case through most of the summer. Now, I was talking to somebody who works at Mesmer High School and said, well, they know it's such a mess, and everybody's telling us that they think it's going to be finished by November 15th. but But there's really been very, very little progress on this since it was torn up in May. My guess is the project in your neighborhood – the project in the route that you travel probably has that that same story. You have the initial flurry, let's tear up the road, etc. and then it sits and it sits and it sits. Our number 414-799-1620 that is the AcuNet mortgage talk and text line. I think we have to have a fundamental reimagining of how we handle projects around here. And that reimagining is Start one, finish one, start another. But this idea that we're going to tear up the roads, and then we're just going to let it sit for month after month after month, and then we're going to have some rush construction thing to try to finish it by whatever the end of the contract is, to me, that is just absolutely ridiculous. Start it, work on it, get it finished. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is reasonable to expect contractors to do it. The state has the leverage leverage when, you know, they're bidding on these things or the city to say, look, this or the county, this is what we want done. We want you to start it. We want you to be working on it on a daily basis, and we want this thing finished. We have seen projects around here that where there's a will, there's a way. But this idea that we're just going to let stuff sit unworked. And torn up for month after month after month for no good reason, to me, is absolutely crazy. 414-799-1620, that is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know we need to do the construction. It seems to me, though, we need to do this much smarter. And that smarter starts with putting in realistic timelines and saying, look, we want you working on this on a regular basis, so if it's going to take 30 days of working, you know, we we want it finished in 30 days, not in six months. 414-799-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line we discuss in just a moment. This, to me, is my principal frustration when it comes to the work, not necessarily the fact that it's being done, not even the way some of the stuff is designed, but the fact that it's allowed to just languish with nobody working on it day after day, week after week. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: What got me started on this, in addition to just driving up and down the, this, this torn-up area of road that's been torn up all summer with little or no work being done on it, was a story in the Journal-Times where the Department of Transportation was describing one of these road projects as blitz construction, implying, hey, we did this really fast. I, I, I don't think there's anything you can say about the way the DOT bids road projects that is done extremely fast. Brian in Cedarburg. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, how, how are you doing? Good. What do you think?
2: Good. Hey, I, I know how ridiculous it is. I travel all, all over the place. I'm a contractor who works on... Not on streets, but on buildings and different different projects. And we started on a project. Uh, I don't know if I can name the city, but, or the name the uh, the little business. But it's Taco City in Kenosha. It's a real small little building. But anyways, there's a quarter, of, not even a quarter of a mile stretch right in front of this. And when we started in January working on this project, it had already been started, and it's still not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> if they're still working on it, and you would see like one guy working on it, maybe two. They'd be walking around, kicking a little dirt around, and right. and moving some dirt. And another, then they would level everything off, and then another contractor would come in and then dig it all up yeah. <laughs> and then lay some pipe, right? And then finish. Oh,
1: Right, no, I know exactly what you mean. And look, and I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not picking on the workers, but that's what I see. You, you drive the stretch, yeah. and it's not uncommon. There's a, there's a guy in one of those little caterpillar things, you know, digging stuff, and there's a the guy with yeah. a clipboard watching him dig that. And there's all this heavy equipment that's scattered all out over the half mile range, and there's nobody in it, and there's never anybody in it.
2: Nobody's nobody, and then there's always people walking around. And I think they're like safety inspectors where they walk around with a little clipboard to make sure everything is safe so nobody is getting hurt. And I'm like, there's more people walking around than are working.
1: Right. No, thanks. And again, I, I don't I don't mean to mock this. I'm not mocking the workers because it's all a question of priorities and assignments. Finish one project, get it done and then move on to the next one. Or or if it's a project where okay, you you gotta use one group of guys that are gonna like level the roadway or whatever, level have them and then as soon as they're done, you know, move the next crew in who does whatever the next part of it is. Jeff, my daughter started at MPS elementary school today. Last week the city started tearing up the streets around two sides of the school and the neighboring blocks, making it impossible to park anywhere near the school and forcing the buses to be backed up around the corner. That sounds like what happened at Mesmer, except they started tearing it up in May. There were two months of summer break why wait until now yeah you've got the whole summer nobody's around the school let's do it now 414-799-1620 dave in milwaukee dave you're on wtmj
3: hi jeff hi dave yeah i just i feel the same way it's just everything's getting done at once and they should have done some better planning and done their homework and you know staged it all better Yeah. I mean, maybe they're trying to save money by doing it all at once, but it makes it hard for everybody else.
1: Well, right. I mean, and maybe, maybe this means you have to expand the limited number of road builders you use. Maybe it means that you have to put in meaningful sort of deadlines on this. Now, the, the project I'm talking about around here, they say it's going to be finished by November 15th. Well, that means that they're going to have to do a lot more in 60 days than they've done in the last five months, which says that there's a will, there's a way. If they can, if they can get this thing finished in 60 days, my question is, why didn't they get it finished? in 60 days, you know, back in May. You know, why did you let it sit idle all this time? Yeah, no, thanks yeah. for calling. I see, that's, see that, that's the frustration of me that, that I have about this thing. And the Department of Transportation and, you know, the, the other entities that bid on this stuff allow people to get away with it. it it's kind of like if you're... I don't know, you're doing a home improvement project, and somebody comes in, you're remodeling your kitchen, and they tear up your kitchen. Okay, so you don't have a kitchen, and then nobody comes back for six or seven weeks. Well, okay, that's going to drive you absolutely bat crap crazy, and you're not going to tolerate that as a consumer. But when, again, when you're the state... Or you're some other public entity and you're bidding on these things. Well, you've got leverage. Jeff, here's a text. Take a drive out to Washington County. Highway 164 has been ripped up all summer and you never ever see anyone working on it. Yeah, see, that's, that's what's so frustrating about this. Like I say, I know nothing about road construction. All right. I get it. I understand replacing, replacing a stretch of bridge over Capitol Drive from Port Washington Road is undoubtedly a major project. At the same time, we're not building something for the bridge over the River Kwai. Okay, we're, we're building a little stretch of bridge that's going to go over Capitol Drive. Why does it take five months to get that done? I mean, seriously, I understand there's stuff that's involved. you got to drive in the pylons. you got to take out the old stuff. I understand it's not a simple project, but but – my goodness, like I say, not the bridge over the River Kwai. Phil in Union Grove. Phil, you're on WTMJ. Yeah,
4: a lot of these contractors, they'll be at uh, three four jobs. And some of them are uh, cut jobs. In other words, they got to take the excavation out. Some of them are fill jobs. So the fill jobs may sit there stagnant until they do the cut, where they can import the material to start on that job. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of times will, will result in a rush towards the end for the fill jobs. Where the compaction is not done properly, and things like that, the corners are cut. But a lot of times, jobs don't get service just due to the fact that they need to import material from one of the jobs they did earlier.
1: Well, why can't you? Why can't you just do one job and, and get it done?
4: Well, at the time, the letting the really the state does it, they may have five or six jobs out there. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna bid three or four to make sure they got work through the summer.
1: Right. I yeah, which is I mean no, thanks the call, which is which is undoubtedly it's kinda of part of the problem. I guess that, that's my, my point. If the state put tougher deadlines and realistic sort of things. And instead of letting people, you know, drag this stuff out and and bid more jobs than they can reasonably handle, maybe what you'd have is a system where, okay, we're going to do one job and then we're going to do the next, and then we're going to do the next one after that. Jason in Milwaukee. Jason, you're on WTMJ.
5: How's it going?
1: Well, what do you think?
5: I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And I think that this needs to get done. I'm headed over that way right now as we speak. I actually beat you. Because uh, three weeks ago, I was coming down Seventh Street because that's where they have the P tour at, and there was five guys standing around with clipboards and two guys pouring a block of cement.
1: <laughs> so I'm not making this up. You saw the same thing.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely ridiculous. That is a heavily traveled area. They should be at least working till seven, eight o'clock at night. For you know, as far as sound goes and being in the neighborhood, you don't want it too loud but this should have been taken care of a long time ago. It's absolutely ludicrous. I have two pickups over in that area, and it takes me 25 to 35 minutes to even get through that area, get down to Olive Street, get over by Fort Washington, and then my company is like, but what's taking so long? (laughs) What's taking so long is that the stoplights, they must be set for a little bit longer because of the construction, so they can get more cars through each way. It's absolutely ridiculous. This should have been done at least by the beginning of August. We are now in the beginning of September. I think I just heard you say they're not going to be finished till November. That's
1: what they're Absolutely. saying. No, they're, they're promising November 15th.
5: It's ridiculous. <laughs> All they're doing is repairing curbs, and they're, what they're doing is they're milling up the ground to level it out, milling up the road to level it out, which is fine. I have no problems with that. But the problem is you have semis, trucks, tractors, right. buses, everybody going through there, and it's a hugely tra- high-traveled yeah. area.
1: Exactly. And you've got that, and you've got Mesmer School that is now back in session. So you've got 600 kids that are coming and you've got the school buses and you've got the parents coming to pick up the kids. No, thanks. It's, and again, this is just one example. It's the example that's closest to us, but you could find all sorts of examples. Jeff, I drive the 94 corridor every day from the airport to Seven Mile Road regularly and then Seven Mile Road south to Highway 50 often. This morning, there were a total of five workers between the airport and Seven Mile Road. Five. You'd think that this stretch of road was a priority. And again, this isn't a criticism of the workers. They they go where they're assigned to go. It's a criticism of a bidding process that allows this type of stuff to go on. And then, of course, people are making the point, too, about, you know, how the barrels just get set out and just left there forever and ever. Jeff, Highway 100 is torn up through Hale's Corners and Franklin. Yeah, you know, we actually talked about this last week. That stretch of, of road in Hale's Corners. Um, it's been stre- it's been torn up forever and a day and it's killing a lot of those local businesses anyways Highway 100 is torn up through Hales Corners and Franklin it's been that way for over a year businesses in the corridor this is the texter are failing and hurting and it's a headache to try to get anyone near that area lots of heavy equipment and road closures but the timetables are ridiculous and again I like I say in the stretch around here there's all sorts of heavy equipment I mean there's bulldozers and there's all sorts of stuff parked all up and down the side of the street there's just nobody working on it this is jeff wagner
6: this is jeff wagner on wtmj
1: so glad to have you with us if i could give you four word advice from a recovering lawyer here if you ever have an occasion to be pulled over by a police officer during a traffic stop those four words of advice would be Don't be a jerk because, all right, there's so many people that end up getting pulled over and they decide that they're going to cop an attitude with the police officer and they're going to be surly or they're going to look for a fight. And and that never works out well. Now, I bring that up because this story out of Texas over the weekend, out of Odessa, Texas, it it highlights something we, we talk about a lot. One of the phrases that I love that appears in the mainstream media is, well, So-and-so was arrested during a quote-unquote routine traffic stop. Well, you talk to people in law enforcement, and what they'll tell you is that there's really no such thing as a routine traffic stop. You, If you're the police officer, and this is one where you really walk in somebody else's shoes, you're the police officer, and it doesn't matter whether you've got six months' experience or 26 years of experience. You're on traffic patrol. You see a car that's speeding. You see a car that's got its taillights out. You see the car that doesn't have the proper license plates or, or whatever. You don't know why. You pull it over. So you pull over the car. You don't know. What you're getting into, all you know is, hey, I pulled over the car because it went through the red light or I pulled over the car because it was speeding or I pulled over the car because, you know, the brake lights were out. Okay. You don't know when you get out of your patrol car, you don't know what you're walking into. And from the perspective of, for example, police officers, right, when when you get out of your car, maybe they've got a sidearm, you know, they've got like a handgun that's, you know, in their waist or whatever. They don't get out carrying semi-automatic rifles. They don't get out carrying machine guns. You've got the gun in the holster that's by the side. You go up because all you know is that the person, you know, was speeding or whatever. You don't know what that person has done beforehand. And I bring this up because, you know, the, the, the thing in Odessa, Texas, the other day, that seven people dead, 22 injured, I mean, that started as a routine traffic stop. Police officers go to, you know, pull over, you know, this character who, who's driving. And as police officers, they pulled him over for failing to signal all right. So the troopers kind of get out of the car. They're, they're going up and it's like a routine thing. OK, the guy didn't put on his turn signal here. We'll give him a warning. We'll give him a ticket or whatever. Well, what he ends up doing is he starts opening fire, you know, through his rear window, shoots out his rear window, shooting the police officers Wounding one of them. Then he takes off shooting randomly. He ends up hijacking a U.S. Postal Service truck and, and then goes on the shooting spree. Seven people dead, 22 people injured. That all started as part of a quote unquote routine traffic stop. So. I, I always encourage people, if you ever get pulled over, look, just let the police officers do their duty. Let them do their job. And you know what? It might be that they're wrong. Maybe they didn't have probable cause to pull you over. Maybe the officers got a little bit of an attitude or whatever. All right, th- that, that happens. You run into police officers like that. You run into people who are having bad days, etc., etc. But the bottom line is, what are those four words? Don't be a jerk. You just... All right, interact with the officer as you see fit, produce your identification, and then let everybody get on with their lives. And if you think you were stopped wrongly or whatever, that, that's fine. You go down, you tell it to the judge, you tell it to the city attorney. You know, you, you have rights of redress. But if you're ever wondering why officers appear cautious, for example, when they're coming up to the car as part of a routine traffic stop, you know, why did he treat me like this? It's because, you know, stuff like what happened in Odessa over the weekend does in fact happen. You don't know if you're the police officer what it is that you're walking into. So cut them a break and and don't be a jerk. All right, to that point. As I said in the tease, I I don't know. If your driver's license is about to expire, chances are you're probably going to make arrangements before your birthday and you're gonna go down and you're gonna get your vision tested and you're gonna pay the money and you're gonna get a new license and then you're gonna drive with it. And, and that's, that's what we're all supposed to do. But I'm legitimately starting to wonder if those of us who do that, if we play by the rules, are, are we chumps? Because it seems like the people who don't play by the rules are able to get away with it over and over again. And this is the story I want to talk to you about. All right, you, you might remember the other day there was a situation, it was August 23rd, where you had a woman on a motorcycle who was on I-94, riding along I-94, and um, Oak Creek woman, she was hit and killed. The guy that did it, 37-year-old guy from Milwaukee, he's been charged. His name is Tyandrus Dyson. He's been charged with knowingly operating while revoked, causing death. Um, he was arrested about four hours after the crash. This was one of those that closed the highway during the evening commute and caused lengthy backups. Um What happened is, after he hit and killed the woman on the motorcycle, he fled the scene. He was found hours after the crash, hiding under a blanket and clothing items in the backseat of his Ford Excursion. Fifty-four-year-old motorcyclist, she died the day after the crash. What was happening is... Apparently, they, they passed him going through that construction zone and then, you know, he, he hit her and then took off. Okay, but here's, here's the dazzling detail. Look, I understand accidents happen. That's, yeah, I understand collisions happen. Here's what happened. This Dyson character, long history of driving offenses. Municipal conviction for drunk driving in December of 2011. Drunk driving conviction in Illinois in September of 2017 drunk driving conviction again in Iowa County Wisconsin in May of 2018 okay so work with me here that's 3 since 2011 he has a pending case in Marathon County while operate for operating while revoked And operating while intoxicated. So, three prior convictions for drunk driving, the most recent one in May of 2018, a pending case in Marathon County, Wausau area, for the fourth one, and he's still out. Driving. Now, he doesn't have a driver's license. The driver's license has either been, it's, it's obviously long revoked. There's no legitimate driving thing. And so now he's out on the road. I don't know if he was drunk or not. And then we're not sure they'll be able to tell because they didn't catch him till several hours later, which is why a lot of times people, you know, run away in the first place. Um, his bail in the fatal crash is set for ten thousand, was set at ten thousand dollars. So if he's able to come up with ten grand, he's going to be out again and undoubtedly driving again. But the bottom line of this is you have somebody who's had a revoked driver's license probably since 2011. I I wonder if he ever really got his driving privileges back. But certainly it's been that way for the last couple years, and it hasn't stopped him from either getting liquored up and getting behind the wheel of the car or just getting behind the wheel of the car. Because let's face it, I mean, obviously, if if this is the guy's situation – my guess is he's been driving a lot more without a license than the one time that he hits and kills this motorcyclist. Okay, but now we, we end up knowing about it. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of the things that I think the legislature is way, way, way behind the public on is cracking down on people who operate vehicles after they have lost their driver's license. Candidly, this is considered a joke. The, the idea, well, you're supposed to have the driver's license, yes, but you know, you're know you caught after you're driving on a revoked license. Here, we'll, we'll give you a fine, and then we're going to send you back out on the road again. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Now, for me, if it were up to me and I were king... If you're driving on a revoked driver's license and it's your car, I'd take the car because that's really the only way that you're going to get people out of it. And if you've borrowed somebody's car, I'd make them have to come in and prove that they didn't know you were driving. But we... We don't take driving after revocation as being anything, any as much as a big deal as I think it is. And people always have their stories and their justifications. Oh, I knew I don't have my driver's license, but I had to get my kid to school. Or, gee, I, I had to go to work, or I had to get here, or whatever. Well, okay, then why don't we just make driver's license a suggestion? Four one four seven nine is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I admit I am frustrated, by lots of things when it comes to driving. But the carnage on the roadways, the crimes committed by people who aren't legally allowed to drive in the first place because of things that they have done, it makes me absolutely crazy. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 1620 that's the accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, if you don't like my idea of seizing the car, that, that's fine. But come up with your own. Don't we have to do something? to punish people who continue to drive after their driving privileges have been taken away. We discuss in just a moment.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: And as you might expect, this guy who, driving without the driver's license, hit and killed the woman on the motorcycle in Oak Creek, I I, I just gave you some of the drunk driving highlights. Stopped on other occasions various places in the state for driving without a license or driving after your license has been revoked, and nothing happens. Matter of fact, if you look up the description of these offenses on the Wisconsin Circuit Court Access, it says, operating vehicle after revocation, suspension of revocation, not a criminal offense, and results only in a money penalty for this offense. Well, okay, if you're only going to have slaps on the wrist, should we be surprised that these people who shouldn't be on the road continue to be on the road, and then what should we be surprised Eyes when 54-year-old women die when the guy who's not supposed to be driving in the first place hits them. Linda in Milwaukee. Linda, you're on WTMJ.
6: Hi, I just wanted to say that my only child, my daughter, was killed by a hit-and-run driver in 2015, and the the car wasn't registered, no insurance, no license. I can go on and on, and he got six years. So my daughter's life was worth six years, and I I mean, it's just ridiculous.
1: Right. And my my guess is, Linda, the guy that hit and killed your daughter, probably, it wasn't the first time he was driving without a driver's license. My guess is he'd been driving all over, and your daughter just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time.
6: Exactly. Exactly. And it's just it's it's heartbreaking. And the the families live this every day. It's something that I live with every day, not having my daughter. And you know, in in six years this kid's gonna be out and it's done and over
1: with for him. Right, right, right. And again it and unfortunately the, the other sad thing is this happens on, on just on a daily basis. People that shouldn't be on the roads are on the roads. And we have a system that just lets them keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And finally, just like with your daughter, just like the woman in Oak Creek, finally, the, the, the driver does something so bad that they're going to go to jail for a little bit of time. But, but couldn't we have gotten them off the streets before they were in a position to kill somebody?
6: All the neighbors around there, it, this happened like by a school, all the neighbors thought that some little kid was going to get killed because they reported this kid and it's driving over and over and over and nothing happened.
1: Linda, I'm so very sorry for your loss. I know it, no, I know it's something you, you live with, but this, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to suggest that every traffic accident that occurs and every hit and run or every fatality is caused by somebody driving without a license. That's not the case. But there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them that are out there. And to me, these things are are preventable if we just didn't laugh it off. Oh, you don't have a driver's license. And, and again, in many of these cases, th- there's a good reason why people don't have their driver's licenses, because I don't know, multiple drunk driving offenses. So their driver's license have been revoked. Let's talk to Roger in Shilton. Hi, Roger. You're on WTMJ.
4: Hello, thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. When we take a look at the law of the state of Wisconsin, what we see is, yes, a first offense, driving without a license, is what's called a forfeiture offense, so you can't be thrown in jail for that. What I don't think you're aware of, with all due respect, is that second or subsequent are considered to be criminal acts, and you can get a substantial amount of jail time. However, if the judges will not give the jail time, then... Yeah, now we we were reminded of the old saying about a slap on the wrist. And as a litigation attorney, I'm in the courtroom constantly. And time and time again, ad infinitum, I see people brought in for driving without a license as a criminal offense. They could get a half a year in county jail, a year, and then the higher the level, the worse it can be for them. And they get a $100 fine. And I'll leave you with this. Oftentimes, certainly not always. But I've actually seen, well, I've seen judges that it's very clear to everybody in the room, the perpetrator is an illegal alien. Mm-hmm. And so, and everybody knows that's why the person doesn't have a license. And again, they get a $100 fine and get shown the door, probably to go out on the street and get in their car and drive <laughs> well, away. Well, that, right,
1: that, they probably drove to the courthouse that day and they're driving away. With, and, yeah, and the chances of them paying said, the fine yeah, but, yeah.
4: Yeah, but these judges, they can give substantial jail time. So calls. why don't there they? Are a few of them that do. Well, there you go. I'll let you go now and let you, uh, okay. Take
1: that, other calls. Okay. Thank you. Well, I mean, I, I guess that, 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 that's the, that's the, the issue, right? If it's, okay, if we're, we're going to fine people a hundred dollars, it's obviously not a deterrent to people. Now, look, I, I understand that there's some of us, that that play by the rules wouldn't occur to me to drive without a valid driver's license it it just wouldn't do that if i if i ever got into a situation where oh my license is getting ready to expire well i'm going to go down there i'm going to make sure it's there if it's a situation where for whatever reason i've lost my driver's license i'm going to make alternative arrangements you know you have these things called uber that are out there but there is clearly a class of people who just don't Care and they keep doing it over and over and over uh, again. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to David in Mequon. Hi, David. You're on WTMJ. Hi,
7: Jeff. Um, really quickly, you know, when we hear about these uh, incidences and it's continual, and the carnage is to your to what you're saying is just tremendous. Um, but if it was, let's say maybe the first-time person that's doing this or whatever you know like they do in chicago if you you know get too many parking tickets whatever they put boots on the cars I, i do think that that could be another alternative but you know at the end of the day um if somebody is actually you know hit and run when they actually kill somebody they have to go away there has to be a minimum sentence of, you know, 20, 25 years at least. Yeah,
1: flees, yeah the maximum Something sentence like is that. six years for, for example, this guy who hit in driving after multiple drunk driving offenses without a license, hits and kills and then flees. Maximum penalty is six years.
7: Yeah. And to another point, you know, what the, you know, the the woman that just called in, I mean, I tremendously, I feel tremendous loss for her for the simple reason that the laws that are on the books now are not protecting families like hers. And because of that, and because we have this, I guess, attitude that, like you said, that we're treating this so lightly, um, it's going to continually to happen. There has to be consequences for your actions. And in this case, uh, we're just not seeing that. So we'll see if anything changes. But
1: I don't know. Yeah, no, thanks. Well, exactly right, and that's that's the. I mean, that's the problem that that goes on here, where we just we we ignore this, or we tra- and look. And I've heard all the excuses. I mean, I, I I just I remember several years ago there was something that came up, and we did a topic related to this. And I actually asked for calls from people who who wanted to admit on the radio that they were driving without. A license and I, I, full phone lines, and everybody had their excuses. Well, and the, the excuse was, Well, I, I need to get to work, or I, you know, I, I need childcare, or the bus routes don't run, or whatever. And they, they were willing to risk the consequences of getting caught with driving without a license because nobody thought that it was going to be too significant. And most people that called in, as I recall, said, yeah, well, we, we knew we were in trouble if we ever got pulled over. But, you know, we didn't get pulled over, so we lucked out. And a couple people who called in and said they got pulled over, well, nothing bad happened to them. They got, you know, a fine, and they ended up paying the fine. My guess is a lot of people that get stopped, you could give them that $100 fine, and they're never going to pay it bottom line is, and I'm sorry, we're moving with jam phone lines on this topic, but the bottom line of this is, I, I think collectively, that those of us who believe ourselves to be law-abiding citizens, we, we have to say that enough is enough. And and you have to press the legislators and you have to press the judges to start taking this kind of stuff seriously. And if you're driving without a valid driver's license, we shouldn't have to wait until you hit and kill somebody's daughter or somebody's mom who's riding on a motorcycle. We shouldn't have to wait until that person who shouldn't be on the road in the first place hits and kills someone before we start to take take this seriously because the truth of the matter is driving, it's a cliche, but it's true. Driving is not a right. It is a privilege. And if you lose that privilege and you continue to do it, you need to be held accountable.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's
1: Jeff Wagner. I mentioned this A little over an hour ago, but the the interesting local news development today is State Senator Screaming Lena Taylor of the Don't You Know Who I Am fame has announced that uh, she is going to be running for mayor, taking on Tom Barrett. The election is in April of 2020. Interestingly, the, the mayor's election falls, I believe, on the same day as the presidential primary for Wisconsin which means that you're probably going to have decent turnout and it falls on the same day as the statewide election for Supreme Court justice. So it's going to be a day that you attract a number of people. Lena Taylor of course has been a political figure. She was been in the state senate I want to I believe since 2004. She is a controversial figure. She is um she was one of the state senators that fled during the Act 10 dispute. She's been in and out of Well, I I want to say trouble. I mean, she had this high-profile dust up with a a bank teller downtown where she was shouting at her. She was booted off the Senate Finance Committee for allegedly bullying members of staff. Um, She's had other instances. Um, She called a Milwaukee police sergeant to have a traffic ticket voided following an incident in which she was described as being um, very irate with officers. Um, So she's had a a number of these sort of incidents as well. I've known Lena Taylor for a number of years and as I always say I I think actually you talk to Lena Taylor in private and she's I find her I disagree with her on a lot of stuff but I find her to be smart and I, I think a lot of the stuff she does is thought out. She's got this public persona, the kind of screaming Lena Taylor persona, and which which I actually don't think it does her it does it does her justice. But she's announced she's going to run against Tom Barrett. It's interesting because. Right now, you have Ashanti Hamilton, who is the uh, chairman of the Common Council, head of the Common Council. He filed for mayor but hasn't announced that he's going to formally run or not. And most people are suggesting that he's probably not. You have Southside Alderman Tony Zelinsky, who is running for mayor. And, uh, then you got Lena Taylor. Lena Taylor is the only African American of those candidates, assuming Ashanti Hamilton doesn't run. So clearly, if you listen to what she's talking about, she's saying, well, there's more than downtown. And that, of course, is the, the knock on Tom Barrett, that, you know, Barrett's been obsessed with his trolley. He's been obsessed with trying to rebuild, you know, funnel everything to downtown, and all the surrounding areas ha- have struggled mightily. Now, whether or not that's gonna resonate or not, I don't know whether or not Lena Taylor is the right messenger um, to to carry that message. I don't know about that either. And the reality of this is that Tom Barrett, well financed. I mean, I think he's got last time I I saw he has over eight hundred thousand dollars in his reelection campaign fund. I think Lena Taylor has a couple thousand dollars. So you, you, as I always say, you don't need to have you don't need to have the most money but you need to have enough money to get your message out and here we are in September, so September, October, November, December, you know, you're you're essentially seven months before an election. Barrett has, you know, a lot of his supporters have lined up. He will do very well in the business community. He will have no trouble raising as much money as he wants. You sit there and you say, okay, where where is Lena Taylor's support going to come from? How is that going to turn into money? Will she be able to harness a grassroots campaign that tosses out an incumbent mayor who is extremely well entrenched is she going to be able to hit on those issues what role does tony Zelensky play you know is he going to be able to siphon off support from the mayor bottom line of all this is just because of the nature of the campaign that i know lena taylor is going to run it's going to be fascinating because she's going to be a bomb thrower there's no question about it and I, i don't say that in a negative fashion at all and for people who take me literally, I don't mean she's literally going to throw bombs. But I mean, you know, she's not going to be afraid to, to go after, you know, Tom Barrett uh, aggressively to try to make her points. I would say that anybody beating Tom Barrett should he and he hasn't formally announced that he's running for reelection. But everybody says he's running for re reelection. Um, I, I don't I don't seriously see Lena Taylor or Tony Zelensky giving Barrett a real run for his money, because let's face it, in Milwaukee, you know, we we don't change mayors. The city of Milwaukee, just as a general rule, doesn't change mayors. And and I'm not sure that there's enough dissatisfaction with the job that Tom Barrett's done. Plus, I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, he can point to a lot of stuff. He can say, hey, look at all the stuff that's going on in the city. And, and yeah, a lot of it's focused downtown, but the next step is going to be a spillover to other areas. Give me my trolley. I'll run it out, you know, to the north side. I'll run it to the south Outside, th- those types of things. I think it's going to be very, very difficult to beat Tom Barrett in 2020. I think you're going to need an aggressive candidate. Lena Taylor will be that um, she may be able to you know, marshal support in the uh, African-American community if she's, in fact, the only African-American candidates running. She certainly, I, I think, you know, had her um finger on the pulse of a lot of issues important, particularly in the African-American community, whether that can translate into something that provides a real challenge to Tom Barrett. I'm a little bit skeptical, but, you know, the big winners of her making the decision to get in the race, guys like me, people at the newspaper, people who cover politics, because I guarantee you what might have otherwise been a sort of sleepy mayoral race, eh, it's not going to be a sleepy mayoral race. It's with Lena Taylor in it that the volume has been dialed up from like 2 or 3 to 8 or 9 or maybe even 10. We'll be watching and we'll be commenting. When we come back, all, all right, some say riot, some say brawl. Does it really matter? Welcome
0: back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Maybe we should rethink the idea of Friday Night Lights. All right. Here is the story. Friday evening, football game, Bayview and Riverside really wasn't much of a game. Riverside defeated Bayview. Um, Journal Sentinel says 63 to nothing. Um, Riverside says they won 57 to nothing. Don't, Don't know what the discrepancy in the score is, but bottom line is it was an old fashioned butt whooping. That is not why. I find the story to be interesting. Doesn't matter whether they won 57 or 63 to nothing. What happened is, and Grew, you weren't around over the weekend, but they played the entire second half in an empty stadium. Did it, was it because it was such a blowout that everybody left? Oh, no, 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 no. They played it because, I don't know. Some people would say brawl. Other people would say riot. Here is the story if you haven't heard it. A fight broke out during halftime. At the stadium, started at a concession area. They had staff members that apparently kind of quieted the fight, but it started up a few minutes later. It was so bad that they had to call the Milwaukee police. Get this. Nine squad cars had to respond. And nine squad cars you've got homicides you've got drunk drivers you've got gangsters running through red lights you've got armed robberies and this brawl was so bad they had to send nine squads to it now interestingly enough they made no arrests I don't understand this is an aside how you can send nine something can be so bad that you know you have to send nine squad cars to it and you can't get any arrests all right After the third quarter started, officials decided to clear the stadium of fans for um, safety reasons. So apparently they, they were, even though you had all these cops on the scene, There was a concern that you know something else is going to happen or presumably that somebody with a gun is going to come back and start shooting or or whatever, but officials decided, okay, we're gonna we're gonna clear the whole stadium. Coaches and teams went to the locker room, took about fifteen minutes. When the game resumed, there were no fans in the stands. According to the story, fighting continued outside of South Stadium, which Milwaukee police then handled. All right. So you get get this idea. It is so bad in the game Friday evening that you've got to call nine squad cars. You've got to empty the stands for the second half. And, and even at that, fighting continues in the parking lot. Um, they say that MPS is working with Milwaukee police to increase the presence of officers at games. And the school system is also going to boost safety. Oh, okay. Now, First and and foremost here, I I understand that, you know, Milwaukee police provide security for all sorts of things, but I I guess my first reaction would be, if, if it is so dangerous at these MPS football games that you need to have a huge police presence and you need to have nine squad cars, and even once the nine squad cars are there, the fighting ends up continuing. That tells me maybe you need to do something a little different. Now, many – all right, I'm dating myself. When I was in high school, it wasn't Friday night lights. The, the football games were during the daytime. The football games were in the afternoon. They'd start at like 3 or 3.30, and they, they'd be over. This particular game, I checked, it started at 6 o'clock, but a lot of the games you know start at 7.30. So it really, truly is Friday night lights. All right. Maybe I'm just... Again, maybe I'm I'm just naive about this type of thing, and maybe this is just what ends up happening, and this is the new normal, that you go to these high school football games and these brawls break out. And again, I'm if this was a fight between a couple kids, it wouldn't be a big deal. But this was more than a fight between a couple kids. This was something that required them to empty the stands and play the entire second half with nobody in the stands. It was something that was so big that required nine squad cars to attend which to me raises the question of do we need to do something different? Now, I'm not arguing that you should cancel football games, although in a situation like this, You wonder why they went ahead and played the second half. I don't know what the halftime score was, but clearly this was, I mean, this was a game that was out of control. And maybe that made a little bit worse. But maybe, maybe, maybe there's other things you can do, including saying, "Okay, maybe if we're going to play these games, maybe we we play them after school. We don't play them at night because whatever it is, I, I don't think you can divert multiple squad cars to sit and babysit high school kids. And I presume it was high school kids who were involved in the fights who can't control themselves. And if it's really, you know, these games are going to degenerate into brawls or whatever word you want to use. I mean, you got to do something different as a starting point. Maybe you play them in the daytime. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line all I know is you can't allow this to continue, and I don't know what it was that started the brawl, but I, I don't care. You can't have nine squad cars being pulled off duty to rush to this high school football game to rein in out-of-control fans, probably students. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Do you need to do something better? Um They say, MPS says, we already screen for weapons, so, I mean, don't have to worry. It's just, I guess, going to be a brawl. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Ooh. number of people texting on that the conversation about the, the brawl we'll use the word brawl, I guess, that that broke out at the football game on Friday between uh, Riverside and, and Bayview that was so bad That they had to clear the stands for the second half, and even after nine squad cars arrived on the scene, apparently the fight still continued. Um, My solution would be, um, maybe you move the games earlier, no more of this Friday night light stuff. A number of people, here's one, but it's representative of what a lot of people are saying. Riverside and Bayview should have public access to the event canceled. Athletes play, no students, no public. If family members want to come, only immediate family, no cousins, no friends. Hmm. Uh, That's obviously something that you have to consider doing if people demonstrate that they cannot behave themselves. And Again, I don't know what the catalyst was behind this brawl. I do find it just amazing that you can have a fight that is so bad that you have to clear the stands, that you need nine squad cars, and there's nobody arrested, and there's nobody in line for any sort of disciplinary procedures, which tells me, well, get prepared for the same thing to happen next week. All right, but hopefully I'm wrong about that. All right, let's switch gears. They call it the Inclusive Curriculum Law. It was just signed into law by the new governor of Illinois. This law, and one similar to it, Have now been passed in five states. California, Oregon, Colorado, New Jersey, and now Illinois. All right. They call it the inclusive curriculum law. The law mandates, mandates that by the time students finish eighth grade, all public schools must teach them about contributions to state and U.S. history made by lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. Let me read that again. You did not mishear me. The Inclusive Curriculum Law mandates that by the time students finish 8th grade, public schools must teach them about contributions to state and U.S. history made by lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. The mayor of Chicago, who's gay, says the law will give more young people the opportunity to see themselves in those who came before us and recognize that they are not alone. Law says that uh, the teaching of U.S. and Illinois history in public schools shall include a study of the roles and contributions of LGBT people. And by the way, this is for kindergarten through eighth grade. All right. It's vague. It doesn't say what this is. It could be a unit Devoted to teaching this, it could be a few lessons at one grade level, although some people think that that wouldn't be in the spirit. But the idea is that by the time you get finished with eighth eighth grade, there is specific teaching as to the roles and contributions of, again, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I want to be real clear here so I'm not misunderstood. If, as part of a teaching segment, teaching U.S. history or teaching world history or teaching Illinois history, it becomes relevant to mention the sexuality or the sexual um, orientation of the subject of what you're teaching. If that's somehow relevant to you know the overall teaching of history I I I have no problem with it at at all at the same time to say that we're gonna mandate specific education devoted to setting aside segments of the curriculum to, I don't know, teach about, you know, people's accomplishments if they are of a certain sexual orientation, I, I think is insane. Again, it, it, and it's not that, again, if it's relevant, if for some reason you're teaching, you know, you're teaching, your your segment is on, you know, the founding of Illinois, all right, and, and for some reason, you know, it's relevant to mention the sexual orientation of somebody involved with that, I, I, of course you, you you do it. I wouldn't say that you couldn't discourage you that you have to discourage it, but but is this something that should be mandated, especially in grades one or K through eight, that there's got to be specific. Delineation and teaching of people and accomplishments based on you know their their sexual orientation four one four seven nine nine one six twenty that is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I mean I I don't I don't know I I I remember social studies and I taught, took world history and I took American history and and I don't ever remember any sort of. Teaching specifically on the lines of, oh, this person was heterosexual or, or whatever. I, I, do, I don't remember sexuality coming into it unless there was some particular relevance to it. I, and I'm, I I was struggling to try to think of an example before I launched into this topic. You know, may, maybe if it was something like, oh, gee, you know, so-and-so, th- this brawl started, this this whole incident started because, you know, um, I don't know, Helen of Troy, you know, Helen left wherever to, to flee. And so, you know, so, so then you have this romantic triangle that started the, the, you know, the Trojan War. Okay, well then, yeah, all right. So then maybe you're indirectly talking about sexuality but really 414-799-1620 five states already should wisconsin be next if you're on the line please hold on
0: this is jeff wagner on WGMJ.
1: here's a text jeff i have taught history at the college level um, for early u.s and world history I honestly can't think of any specific instance where somebody's sexuality mattered in the larger perspective. This law does not make sense. Yeah, that, that's that's my point. And yet that's exactly the case. If you're just tuning in, Illinois has now become the fifth state to adopt something called an inclusive curriculum law, which mandates, mandates by the time students finish eighth grade, yes, eighth grade, public schools must teach them about contributions to state and U.S. history made by lesbian, gay, bisexual, and trans gender people okay and again my my point is whatever happened to teaching history if the sexual orientation of somebody involved in history is relevant to the the class to what you're teaching well of course you you teach it i don't say that you ignore that but now we're we're going to specifically carve out segments okay we have to identify i don't know ten you know, gay people um, who contributed to American society in the last hundred years. Really? I mean, what what about just teaching history? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Matt in Waukesha. Hi, Matt.
8: Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good.
1: Although this makes no sense to me.
8: Well, I and, and I agree with you on the premise as you've stated. Uh, and and my thought is this, Jeff: uh, How long before the next leap wherein? we determined that the only person suitable to teach said curriculum has to also be a person of the appropriate sexual identification, because uh, a, a white uh, heterosexual is not qualified yep. to teach said curriculum, uh, much like, you know, uh, it would be cultural appropriation for white person to teach African American history because they can't identify or, or, so. or
1: take it one step further languages you know can can some uh, can a non-Hispanic person teach Spanish nowadays you know where where do you end up drawing the line
8: uh, uh, right and I I think it's it's uh we're, we're heading down a path that 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 is isn't that doesn't have merit and, and only creates more problems than it solves.
1: No, they, I, well, I- exactly, and, and to me this is much more divisive. Now, the justification for this is that, okay, you have you have transgender students, you have gay students, you have lesbian students. Yeah, now, of course, we're we're also talking about eighth grade and younger. All right. So so now we we expect that by the time you're in fourth or fifth grade that you've you know, you know what your sexual orientation is, et cetera, et cetera. And and now the whole idea is we want you to have self-esteem. So, you know, if you're a I don't know, a um, again, a transgender fourth grader all right, we, we want to make sure that, you know, we're teaching you that there are other people, you know, transgender people in American history who did great things. So we want you to we want to validate this. I, I, it's just it's like, where where did we cross the line? Yeah, teach history. And for example, if, if you've got a, a segment that you want to teach, like a unit in your classroom that you want to teach about um, the gay marriage or and, and the, the, evol- the evolving policies, hey, Barack Obama used to oppose gay marriage. If if you, as, as part of your social studies class, you want to teach it, well, of course, I, I have no problem with that. It's relevant if that's part of it. But this idea is that we're, okay, we have to try to identify people in American history or Illinois history who fit into certain of these categories based on their sexual orientation, and, and then we want to teach about them. Huh? I, I mean, you know, really? Yeah, it, it, you know, let's just let's just teach the course and let the chips fall where they may. Carol in Mount Pleasant. Hi, Carol. You're on WTMJ.
6: Well, then why don't we have to teach who are the Catholics, who are the Lutherans, who are the Baptists? You know, why can't you know why don't you know what I mean? Why do we only have to put out the gays and lesbians and you know? Uh.
1: Well, well, where do we draw the line I- exactly? Right. How how much do we have to divide ourselves into subsets of the population exactly? Plus, I don't know about you, Carol, but th- this is directed at, at kids. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade—you know, right. up through Do they eighth grade.
6: Even know what it means to be a gay
3: or a
1: lesbian. Well, well, right or transgender or whatever. And is this really mm-hmm. a conversation that you want to be having in the classroom for the kid that comes home and says, "Hey, we had this segment today on these transgender, you know, people, and you know, what's transgender, mom? You know, it's right. I, no, it's. I mean, it just I just don't see this as being. Uh, again, appropriate. And it's, I'm not saying that you can't mention people's sexual orientation or that you shouldn't be able, but that's not what this is. This is a mandate that you teach it. Um, Jeff, are they going to, uh, how do we, how do we do this? We're going to teach that Barack Obama was the first African American president. All right. Do we also then have to teach that, by the way, he was straight? He wasn't gay. I mean, is this now going to be like the litmus test? Okay. Let's look at the founding fathers and let's talk about what their sexual orientation was. It's just, To me, unless it is relevant, going back to where I started this conversation, unless it is relevant to the historical event that you are teaching, to throw this in is just extraneous, is completely extraneous, and again, uh, it's a nod to political correctness it it's something that you know okay we want this to be touchy and feely to a couple of these special interest groups who feel that they've you know gotten the shaft uh, you know over the years that you know that they've that, that they haven't been treated appropriately and i'm just saying look if you're going to teach history teach history you don't need to slant it and you certainly don't need to mandate teaching about uh, uh, again sexual orientation in history classes if it's not relevant and yet illinois now the fifth state what do you think tony evers would think about that oh don't answer that question
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. I've been kidnapped by Kmart. One of the great movie lines of all time, delivered by the incomparable Bette Midler. I've been kidnapped by Kmart. Gru, do you know what movie that comes from? Would you have known what movie that comes from if you hadn't looked at the clip I sent you? Okay. 1986, Danny DeVito, Ruthless People, one of the just sort of great oddball comedies of all time, but Bette Midler, who plays this... I don't know. This, this, she plays Danny DeVito's wealthy wife, and he's having an affair, and she, you know, he, she gets kidnapped, and he doesn't want to pay the ransom. And then the, the, the kidnappers are trying to negotiate with him, and they keep lowering and lowering the price, and Danny DeVito won't pay, which leads to that great line I've been kidnapped by Kmart. But, of course, see, back in 1986, when that movie came out, it resonated with everybody, because everybody knew Kmart, and they knew. The blue light specials, I am not proud of this, but when I was in law school, all right, there was there was a Kmart right down the street from me, and when I was in law school and didn't have a lot of money, you, at, at the end of the night... They, 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 they'd they like almost give away the food, you know, so they, they make those those hot dogs. It's amazing. I'm still alive. You know, they make those hot dogs that they're like there all day that are like going around in a little rotisserie reti- thing. Well, okay, 10 minutes before they're supposed to close at 9 o'clock, what are they going to do with the hot dogs? So they start selling them for like a dime apiece. I'm not proud of this. I would go over to Kmart, and I'd buy a bunch of the hot dogs, you know, for a dime apiece. Okay, so – I'm sure there's worse things you could do, but I ended up managing to, to survive that. But, you know, the, the Kmart that I went to back in the 80s, it's gone. Matter of fact, most Kmarts are gone. The story is that... um Caledonia, the Caledonia Kmart, which is the last Kmart left in Racine County, that is going to be closing in mid-December. Of course, you had the story not that long ago. Well, you had like the big Kmart they had in Cudahy ended up closing. That was earlier this year. That was the last one in Milwaukee County. The Kmart's in Racine and in Platteville closed about two years ago. So you, you have the, the Kmart's just all over are just going up, going, you know, belly up. Um, other Wisconsin Kmart stores, including ones in Moston and Ripon, are apparently going to be closed as well. So at one point in time, you had this iconic chain. You know, you had the Walmarts and you had the Targets and you had the Kmart's. Then you had the coals of this world and things like that. Um but, but Kmart Kmart has lost that battle. Walmarts continue to thrive. Targets by and large continue to thrive. Kmart gone. History. And pretty soon I think that reference in that movie, I've been kidnapped by Kmart, it is going to mean nothing to generations of people because they're going to be going, Mom, Dad, what is that Kmart that that woman speaks of? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What happened? Why did Kmart... Why was Kmart largely not able to survive? And, and I understand that there's still a relative handful of Kmart stores out there, but, but not like it was. When you had other stores like Walmart and Target that were able to thrive, why is it no more blue light specials? What happened with Kmart that all the Kmart shoppers that made it a thriving, thriving enterprise, you know, ended up bailing on it? Why, why is Kmart going to be relegated to the dustbin of history, while similar types of stores. And I understand that Target and um, and, and Walmart are, are different, but they're similar types of stores. They survive. Kmart doesn't. What happened? Kmart shoppers. Four one four seven nine is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I've got a theory, but I'd be curious as to yours. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I could be wrong about this, but I think after the most recent round of closings, I think the only Kmart store left in Wisconsin is going to be in Waupaca. I, and I, 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 could be wrong, but the Racine store is closed. They're closing the Ripon store. They're closing the Mauston store. They're closing the. They've closed the Kenosha store. I, I think. I think it's just gonna be that one. What happened to Kmart? Let's start with Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're on WTMJ.
2: Yeah, hi, Jeff, how are hey you doing? doing?
1: Good, what do you think? What happened?
2: Well, I, I happen to live right behind one of the old Kmarts in Hartford. I'm on a condo there. Okay. And I think it's. I think the thing was pricing. Uh, I shopped, I'm, I'm around a long time, and I shopped at all three of them stores. And I think Kmart, it was a nice store, but the prices were higher than Walmart and Target. Okay. And. And that's why that's why I think maybe they coasted out.
1: Did you yeah. uh, so you know it's it's interesting, I, I guess I, I didn't I never really checked kind of the prices. I always thought quality wise, I always thought Kmart was kind of at the lowest tier. If I that may, maybe that's a false thing, but I, I always kind of thought it was kind of Kmart and then Walmart and Target was like slightly uh, above. Um, you think it was cost too, huh?
2: I think cost, and you could be right on the on the product wise too, because uh, like I say, I've been around a long time, and uh, uh, right. I shop for prices and and, and some quality, you know. Right. And that's, I think that took them down.
1: No, that, it, it could very well well be. Let's see, Jeff. I live in Walworth County. However, growing up in the 70s and 80s, we would go to the Kmart in Janesville. Last time I was there was nearly 10 years ago. I was aghast at the condition of the store. It was a glorified image sale with many ceiling lights gone, tiles on the floor missing, and boxes everywhere. The company never invested in the business, and people went elsewhere. I feel sad it closed several years ago, and it's dying a slow death like Sears. Um... Yeah, okay. Somebody says the Kmart and Marinette is still open. Um, okay, Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 799 1620 See, I, I, I will – and even in the heyday, you know, when I was talking about going over and getting the hot dogs and the blue light special and stuff, even then I always thought the Kmart store was – the word I'm going to use is junkier, and I don't necessarily mean that about the products, but I, I thought – you know, I, I thought Walmarts were cleaner and stuff, and I thought Target, my perception was always Targets were cleaner as well. And I guess I, I thought, you know, Targets maybe a little bit more money, but I always thought of Targets as being kind of a higher quality. I And I just, I think it got worse for Kmart. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Paul in Kenosha. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good
4: afternoon,
3: Jeff. Hi, Paul. Kmart in Kenosha is still open. Carly is it okay open. <laughs> they just shot they just shut down shopco okay uh, i think i think what a lot of what a lot of people would agree with is their advertising went down the tubes the only thing you've got is is like in kenosha news and that's basically going out we were talking about uh wtm or uh, uh journal sentinel and stuff right. like that <laughs> right so that's the only way you get a the only way you see a kmart ad is you know in the kenosha newspaper and hardly anybody gets it
1: <laughs> um when's the last time you went into a kmart
3: uh, actually about three weeks
1: ago for a small little battery and that was it. Okay. Just so what, and was, was the place full, empty, thriving, dead, uh, what would you say? Dead. 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 Yeah. It was,
3: it, there was about 10 cars in the parking lot, I bet five more employees.
1: Um, yeah, no, thank, they, they, well, that's, you know, that's kind of it now. And, and again, it, what I find interesting about the story is we, we all talk about the internet, And, you know, the impact that the Internet has had on brick and mortar stores and and that that's true to an extent, you know, Boston store has gone belly up. Who would have thought that happened? You know, Sears is which, of course, you know, is it came? I think it's Kmart that owns Sears now or vice versa, whatever. And, you know, Sears is dying, of course. But then again, you, you look, Kohl's is doing fine. Um, you look, you know, in mean, Target's doing fine. You've got, you know, Walmart that's the, the giant. So th- there's ways that some of these stores have been able to survive. Greg and Wawatosa. Hi, Greg. Hi. What do you think?
3: Well, <laughs> I'm kind of a Kim aficionado. Okay. I work for them late 70s, early 80s. Um, I love their brand, although I think they've fallen to the wayside a little bit in their marketing and advertising and keeping up with other businesses. Right. And two years ago, I decided, I know this is going to sound odd, as a bucket list, I wanted to visit every Kmart that was left in the state. So okay. I went to all 10 of them, and the farthest one was Lacrosse. I drove three hours there and three hours back, and my friend said, you drove all that way just to go to the Kmart? I said, well, yeah, because it was on the bucket list.
6: Okay. You know? uh,
1: some people some people want to go to paris some people want to go to dublin you wanted to go to lacrosse and see the kmart okay
3: absolutely absolutely but when i was going to tell you and i heard you over overheard you talking about this watoma which i just was at I took a trip up north for labor day they will be closing in november okay and the one in um down in
1: racine um, that's closing yeah, that they've announced that's closing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so how I, many are how many, many are left? A just a, thing cu- thing I mean, I mean how many are unfair? left? Just a couple, right? There's only a couple, I mean, couple left. There's only a couple yeah. Kmart's left, right?
3: There's, there's, yeah, there's one in Racine. There's one in, um, uh, let's see, Oconomowoc closed. is closed. Um, probably three left.
1: Right, and the one in Racine is closing in December. Caledonia, they just announced that that's closing, so that's going to be the last one in Racine County. So that's going to be Correct. gone. Got Correct. it. So what happened? Yeah. I mean, what what do you think? You 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 are an aficionado, and that, that. So what do you think? I mean, why? What happened to that brand?
3: Well, yeah, I, I don't think it was pricing. I overheard the other gentleman mention that. I think they've always been very competitive in their pricing. I think that they have decent products. I just don't think that they stayed with the times. And I do know they have an online presence, but it probably isn't what other stores, you know, right. offer. Um, that's part of my thought. The other thought is, is uh, Sears Holdings. Uh, they're under the umbrella of Sears Holdings, right. and you know all the Sears stores that have closed. Um, I can't say it's a sign of the times. I just think that you know they just people have lost favor with Kmart yeah. for whatever reason. I'm, I'm not really sure.
1: Okay, so a couple of years from now, is there going to be a Kmart for you to visit anywhere in the country?
3: No, no. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, I, I I would say within probably a year or so. Uh, they'll all be
1: closed, unfortunately. Greg, one of the reasons I love doing this show is I get to talk to people with all sorts of interesting interests. And I have to tell you, I've been in, doing a radio show in this market for full or part time for going on 25 years. You are the first guy whose bucket list includes going to visit Kmart's. <laughs>
3: and and you, I, I, I got to tell you one more thing about that. Um, so I put that on Facebook, and I put all the pictures of the different Kmart's on there. And I had friends of mine that told me that they worked at like Hales Corners or Hay or whatever. And the camera I worked at was on Chase Avenue. Okay. Near Southside. <sighs> but uh, I know it's a little unusual, but uh,
1: just what I, what I love. I don't know. <laughs> look, I, I, I'm not judging. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> th- thanks for the call. I'm not judging. No. Okay, you've got to understand. I'm the guy who takes a picture of myself standing next to the statue of the guy, the big boy, you know, holding the big boy hamburger. I'm the guy Who's tried to talk women into my life into letting me spend stupid money buying big boy statues so I can put them in the living room or on the patio or whatever? Now the women in my life have never gone along with that, so I'm not going to mock you for driving to La Crosse to visit a well, maybe a little bit a Kmart, but that's that's it's, it's truly it's one of the reasons I absolutely love doing the show that you get to talk to people with all sorts of interesting stuff. And Greg's bucket list was drive to check out the different Kmart's, huh? This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Back for more, here's WTMJ's
1: Jeff Wagner. So, Walmart, what is the point? Now, we were talking earlier about in that last segment about CVS and CVS. It's now five years since they decided to start selling to toba- stop selling tobacco and it cost them a whole lot of money. And I applauded CVS for doing it because I understand the point that they were trying to make. CVS says, look, we're getting into the health business and we've got our minute clinics and our doc in the box stuff. And-, and we can't reconcile that with selling tobacco. So we're ready to take the hit on that. So I, I understand consistent message and all that. Which brings me to the news today from Walmart. Walmart does not sell handguns except in Alaska. And they've announced today they're gonna stop selling handguns in Alaska. Walmart also does not sell semi-automatic types of weapons. Okay, don't, don't sell that. Walmart does sell ammunition and other types of guns. So follow me on this. Walmart announced today that it is going to stop selling ammunition. It will no longer sell handgun ammunition and ammunition used for the quote unquote assault style weapons. So no handgun ammunition and no ammunition for assault style weapons after it sells out of its current industry uh, inventory. So they'll, they'll sell it till it's gone. Walmart will continue to sell long-barrel deer rifles and shotguns and ammunition for those guns. So the news today is we're we're really, we're we're going to get out of the ammunition business, essentially. Not completely, because they'll still sell shotgun shells and long-barrel deer rifle ammunition. But they're effectively getting out of the ammunition business. Walmart is not a big provider of firearms. Um, They sell about 2% of the market for guns today. Walmart is a huge seller of ammunition. The estimates are that Walmart has about 20% of the market share for ammunition sales, handgun ammunition, et cetera, et cetera. They estimate that as a result of this policy, they're going to drop down to probably around six percent of market share because they're they're not going to be selling handgun ammunition. That that's where the, the big thing is. Walmart's justification for this is that um, we feel like we are striking a responsible balance between the interests of law-abiding citizens who are exercising their legal rights. Yeah, I just don't. I mean, thanks. For I don't I mean, I guess I just don't I don't see it playing out that way. And again, I don't send me the text and say, well, Walmart's is a private business? They can do whatever they want. Yeah, they, they they can do whatever they want. I'm not arguing that point. I'm arguing or at least making the point of, you know, what what do you think? That you are trying to accomplish. Okay, so here's somebody says, if you believe CVS was socially responsible by reducing or eliminating smoking by not selling cigarettes, how can you oppose Walmart if they have the potential to eliminate even one murder or mass shooting? Different. I mean, to me, there is a distinctive difference. CVS was trying to get into the health business. So they said, okay, selling cigarettes doesn't accomplish that. Well, Walmart's still selling all sorts of guns and things like that. CVS believed, gee, if we stop selling cigarettes, maybe we believe there's going to be a certain percentage of people who are going to quit smoking. I don't think anybody in connection with Walmart believes that simply by them not selling handgun ammunition means that people are all of a sudden going to be surrendering their guns. I, that just, it, the whole thing doesn't follow you know, to me in the first place, Jim in Oconomowoc. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. Hi, Jim.
2: I kind of think I kind of think that the the sale of the ammo is below their uh, profit percentage per square foot of store. So they get a they get a combination of uh, higher return and feel good at the same time.
1: Oh, so you're a bigger cynic than I am on this issue, huh?
2: Oh, of course. <laughs> they're, not, they're not. They're not doing this to. Uh, reduce violence how many how many mass shootings have been accomplished with a handgun
1: well that that's that was kind of my right that was kind of my point yeah point i mean i understand i guess if you want to get out of the 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 quote-unquote semi-automatic assault rifle business okay i got that but that's why i was really i was gravitating the fact that they've decided to get rid of the handgun stuff and you're right it's not it's not like you know you you got the people with handguns that are engaging in the the big shootings. Now thanks to call, I think you know maybe that that could be now they say that they say they've got like 20% of the ammunition business and they expect that it's going to you know drop and so I'm sure it will cost the money. You raise an interesting question that point being all right. What's the impact ultimately going to be on that, and how does it translate? Um, don't know. Speaking of guns, though, before we turn it over to uh, Wisconsin's afternoon news, you know, earlier earlier today, I was giving some free legal advice from a recovering lawyer, which was, you know, when the police stop you, and this was kind of if you weren't listening during that segment, it was the it was sort of my take on this what happened in Odessa over the weekend, where the police stopped the guy for been failing to make a turn signal or something and as they're getting out of the car he starts shooting out the back window and then goes on i think seven people killed and ends up you know, uh, hijacking a mail truck and he's driving through the, the town, just shooting people indiscriminately. Um, and I use that to make the point that whenever you see the phrase routine traffic stop, you, you should raise your eyebrows because from a police officer's perspective, there, there's no such thing as a routine traffic stop. So my advice was four words if you ever get pulled over by the police, and that is don't be a jerk because the police officers don't know what they're getting into. You you know what you're all about, but you know the police officers when they get out of that car, all they know is that you know they're pulling over somebody for for speeding or for having a defective taillight or not making a turn signal or whatever. They don't know what they're going to come across. So sometimes if a police officer has an attitude or something like that, you've got to understand there's no such thing as a routine traffic stop, so don't be a jerk. Similarly, um, maybe on the mean streets of Milwaukee. Of um, uh, another, you could be. Don't get out of the car. Six words. Uh, there could be some other advice for you. Don't get out of the car. Story um, over the weekend. Uh, what happened was car crash. Fifty for Friday afternoon. Friday five fifteen. Five fifteen. Grew. This could be when you are going somewhere. 51st and Capital. Not really that far from where we are sitting here. What happens is their two vehicles collide, 51st and Capital, about 5.15 in the afternoon. All right, don't know which car was responsible for it. Don't know what the nature of the crash is. But if you drive Capital Drive around here, you take your life into your own hands, figuratively speaking, now apparently literally as well. Woman is a passenger in one of the vehicles. After the crash, she gets out of the car and confronts the driver of the other car. The driver of the other car shoots her, <laughs> shoots her, and kills her. I mean, it, it's, I would say it's like the wild, wild west around here, but that. That does a disservice to the wild, wild west. There's a traffic accident on 51st and Capitol, which probably happens a half dozen times a day. Woman gets out, starts presumably like yelling at the driver of the other car. He shoots her. He shoots her. It's 5.15 in the afternoon. It's not 3 o'clock in the morning. 5.15 on 51st and Capitol. He shoots her and kills her. So, if you are involved in an accident, if you get pulled over by the cops, like I say, four words, don't be a jerk. If you get, if you're involved in an accident, my advice is don't get out of the car. Six words, because you never know what is going to happen. Wisconsin's afternoon news is coming up next. Stick around.